Okay, so um, tonight we are in Proverbs chapter 9. Uh, this may be a familiar passage to some of you. Um, um, before we get to it, uh, I guess I was supposed to read it. Well, let's read the, let's read the whole thing. Sorry. The Way of Wisdom, chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of my wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is in sight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat at the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are of the depths of Sheol. So from the moment you wake up, you are constantly making decisions. Whether it's, my bladder's so full, I'm going to the bathroom first, to my dog is screaming for food, I need to, no, he doesn't do that, but that's the first thing I do, is I feed my dog. And some decisions we don't even think about. Like, you just you just do it. And then there's other decisions where it's like, okay, what's the weather? Do I wear a sweater? Do I wear a short sleeve? You're just, you're always making decisions. And then as you get older, the decisions you make become more significant. Like, I, you know, I just went through, like, with, uh, well, Josiah doesn't know at the moment, but it's like, what am I going to do with my life or my kids? You know, where am I going to go to college? And those decisions are big decisions. I mean, there's a lot to think about with them. They're not just, oh, I'll just go here. You, like, do research and you prepare. The car you're going to get, the, where you're going to buy a house, like, who you're going to marry. You, like, these are big decisions. Um, and some of them have lasting effects, the decisions you make. Well, today in our text... Solomon is going to put forth a decision for you to make. And I would argue it's one of the biggest decisions you'll make for your whole life. Solomon writes this framework in chapters 1 through 9, and he wants to lay a foundation for these Proverbs that are going to come next in chapters 10 through 21, because he doesn't want you just to read this clever saying. He wants us to know there's something at stake, and he paints this larger picture for us Solomon gives us this vision of our lives, of what our lives would look like according to God's wisdom, and what it would look like if you reject God's wisdom. So Solomon paints these pictures in the first nine chapters. He is repeatedly painting these pictures of our lives in different scenarios of what it will look like according to wisdom, and of what it will look like if you don't live according to wisdom. Throughout these opening chapters, from chapter 1 to 9, Solomon is regularly urging 
get wisdom, look for wisdom, pursue wisdom, choose wisdom. I mean, it's just this over and over again he is telling um, us. And Solomon ends this instruction in chapter 9, all that he's been talking about. He summarizes the main thing he's trying to, that he's been trying to convey this whole time and that there's this choice you need to make. You can either go in this direction or you can go in that direction. And that choice must be made. Everyone will make this choice. Everything is at, at stake with this choice. He represents two choices as two different people, as two women. Each one of them is going to call out to everyone who's passing by. And this is the literary term personification. And so these two women are, are represented in personification. And in case you need a reminder what personification is, it's the representation of a thing or an idea. Here it's wisdom. It's represented this idea is represented as a person or as a human. And so um, one of these representations is Lady Wisdom and the other person is Lady Folly or you could call her Lady Foolishness. We don't usually say the word folly anymore, but I'll be saying it tonight. We will see that they have similar, they have, they have few similarities, like both homes are at the highest place of the town and both are offering food and drink even though they are both making the same invitation, the choices they represent couldn't be more different. In fact, the two women are directly competing against each other. They have rival invitations. Chapter 9 starts with Lady Wisdom and all her splendor, her preparedness. Then Chapter 9 ends with Lady Folly and what she represents. These two chapters are bookends, and what is in the middle is the key to understanding them and what is at stake. Verses 7 through 12 tell us the most important truths. The center of our text is where we find God's wisdom for us. It points to the main point of the chapter and indeed a repeating of the main point of the whole book of Proverbs. So let's first look at Lady Wisdom. I'm actually going to read her again just to refresh your mind on her. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine and she also set her table. She has sent out her young women to, to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat of my bread and drink of my wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Now Solomon, on behalf of God, invites us to use our imagination here. There's a vivid picture. So we have poetry. We're in poetry literature, right? So like we should be anticipating and thinking about what this looks like, what we're reading. These two women are standing in front of their houses, and we are to see that. These two houses also have two separate paths that lead to their houses. And on one side, we see Lady Wisdom. That's who we'll focus on first. The scene at Lady Wisdom's house, well, she's prepared a great feast. She started literally from scratch. She built the home, and it's magnificent. It has seven pillars, probably to show just how big and grand this house is, with many rooms. Now, to the number seven in the Bible, the scriptures use seven as the number seven as a symbol of perfection or completeness. So these pillars would well point to the qualities in wisdom and her work. We must see that the point that wisdom has done all the work, she's the one working. And she's done, she's done all of this labor, and she's done all the finishing touches. She's all set. She's ready for company. She's been preparing her home. 
And if you can picture maybe like a veranda area with like a table that the feast is on, it's a banquet. Now the text says she slaughtered the beast for the meal, which means she's prepared the meat. It says she mixed her wine. Now I, I read some commentaries and they're like, maybe she added honey or spices. I don't know. I don't know anything about mixing wine. But the point is, is she did it to like enhance the taste. She's set, she's arranged the tables, she's done all of it for her guests. All they have to do is come. And the maids that work for her, her young women, she sends them out um, to invite people in. But she doesn't expect them just to do it because she's also personally calling out the invite to people. We read with all this detail that Lady Wisdom is about something. It's obvious that her labor and her preparation have been done with confidence that she has something to give. She has something to offer. So after she has prepared this feast, she speaks with a clear, confident voice. She isn't shy because she knows what she has to offer is good. She knows that when you come to her house, she has something there for you. It's good, something to feed on, something to live on. It's nourishing. It makes you healthy and strong. So she speaks out with this confidence by saying, come and eat my food, come and drink my wine. Lady Wisdom clearly is unashamedly calling out for you to leave your simple ways and for you to live. Now we turn to Lady Folly. So let's read starting in verse 13 to be familiar with her. The woman Folly is loud. She's seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house and she takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that the guests are in the depths of Sheol. So God also wants us to paint this picture of her as well. And it appears she's trying ever so hard to be attractive. Verse 13 says that she's seductive. But she has to try hard because verse 13 also says she's loud and knows nothing. We see her character. That word seductive takes us back to Becky's lesson last week in 5.3 of the adulteress. You can also see the same language in chapter 7, verse 21, which we haven't taught on. But the fact that she knows nothing tells us that this is someone with extreme lack of no sense. She's lacking sense. She's not presenting herself as Lady Wisdom does, who stands with confidence in a warm, welcoming way. No, Lady Folly isn't standing with her invitation. What is she doing? She's sitting. Maybe she's being lazy in the doorway. It doesn't say that, but it, she could be. Now, but there's something uneasy about her home. Now, on the front, it appears fine, but if you look through the door, if you look through the windows of her home, you'll see that there's nothing there. So have you ever seen, have you ever been in a play and like the front of the stage, like, you know, it's like a storefront or a home and then you walk behind it and there's nothing. So like, this is what it is. It's like a play or a movie set where the front looks great, but when you look closer or go inside or behind, there, there's nothing there. And like, I'm not making this up because she admits that this isn't good. Look at verse 17. It says she has stolen water. And that she has stolen bread. Um, she just has nothing good to offer. Now, there's more unease when it comes to her home. Did you catch the initial reading? 
If you look more closely as you peer into the windows, you will see a movement of shadows. And who is that? It's the dead. The dead are there. Those are her guests. Verse 18 tells us her guests are, are of the depths of the grade, of the grave. Folly's path brings death with no eternal hope held out. Now make sure you notice this. It may seem obvious, but don't miss that both of these women, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, are speaking to the same audience. Verse 4, that's uh, Lady Wisdom, and verse 16, that's Lady Folly, are identical. They both cry out, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Both say to those who lack sense or lack judgment, their audience is the simple and the ones who lack sense. Now we've seen this before. Go back to chapter 1 when mom taught. Chapter 1, verse 4. Um, oh man, I'm in the middle of a sentence. So I'll just start with verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteous justice and equality, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. And so we've, we've seen here that this book is to give instruction to the simple, to talk to the simple, and there's a warning in our book for the simple. And honestly, we're all the simple. And I think mom covered that. Um, we all start off not knowing anything. And as I look at the table, um, I mean, I still instruct Josiah, who's 18, but Bree's got a lot of simple minds in her home that she'll be doing instruction with. There are things that they just don't know yet. We know a little bit more than Melody does now, but there will be, but there's still stuff we, we need to learn about. And so all of us are simple. Um, but this is a final picture operating in the context of this first nine chapters, speaking to every human being and focusing especially on those who have not found the good path or for us who are tempted to wander off the good path. It is clear in chapter nine what God's word is saying. Listen, you need to make a choice. Everyone needs to choose. Which house will you go to? Which will you choose to start your path? How will you live your life? What way are you going to go? And so to help us consider this choice, Solomon provides us with some valuable information sandwiched between these two choices. He's especially eager for us to know more about this house of wisdom, this path of wisdom. It's clear that Solomon wants us to go this way. The middle section shows wisdom in a positive light and folly in a negative light. He tells us some things that we must need to know about the path of wisdom and why the path is the path we must choose. So first, we're going to learn that the path of wisdom is the path of life. And this is what Solomon's been saying over and over and over again. And that this isn't just physical life. It's talking of eternity, the life you can have after your physical death. You see, Lady Wisdom represents Jesus. Jesus is God's wisdom. Now look at the details of Wisdom's house. It's built on the highest point of the city. In the ancient Near East, the only house built at the highest point of the city was the temple, the place of worship. So it's not a stretch, therefore, to say that Wisdom is not only the personification of a God's wisdom, but it's also God himself. If Wisdom is God, then who is folly? Well, she's also at the highest point of the city. See, she's personification of foolish thought and behavior. She is also more. She represents deity, but it's Lady Folly's case of the deity of false gods. 
She represents false gods, the pagan gods and goddesses who desire to lure Israel away from the true God. Okay, so here's more proof that Jesus is God's wisdom. Go back to chapter 8. Now, we didn't cover this because we only have so many weeks what, what to do. Chapter 8. Go back one chapter to chapter 8. I'm going to show you how Jesus is God's wisdom. In chapter 8, wisdom is talking. Um, <coughs> where was I going to start? Uh, wisdom is talking, and if you go to verse 22, wisdom says, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Who was in the beginning? God. God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy. They were all there in the beginning because they're eternal. And so wisdom keeps talking in Proverbs 8, in verse 23. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the depth, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the seas its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in the inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. And now, O sons, listen to me. Wisdom says, blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fall, fails and finds, in, finds me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So if we had taught chapter 8, I wouldn't even have to explain that lady wisdom represents God's wisdom and Jesus. It's just beautiful. So the key to, to this chapter, we actually see in verse 10, in chapter 9, verse 10. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is in sight. Not only does this verse hold the chapter together by giving us the key to choosing wisdom over folly, it also links with the same key statement of chapter 1 that Mom taught two weeks ago. Let's go back to Proverbs 1.7. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so here we see 1.7, and then we read 9.10, and they're like bookends for this first section of Proverbs. They hold the first nine chapters together. Only in a relationship with the Lord, fearing him and listening humbly to his words, can anyone discern the right house. When you know God's word, you can spot the counterfeit. Now, have you heard this truth before? Um, people who study money, they, they only study real money. They don't spend their time focusing on the counterfeits. They just know the actual true money so well that they can spot the counterfeit when they see a counterfeit. And honestly, I urge you, to, that's what we should do with the Bible. Do not spend your time on the Quran or the teachings of other other religions, that's great to know them, but if you don't know what you believe, what the Bible says, how can you possibly witness or talk to someone else about it? Um, so, like we mentioned before, Sam 
has Mormons who come to her door regularly. If she just studied the Book of Mormon, that's what it's called, right? The Book of Mormon. Like, she might have a lot to say about that, but she wouldn't know how to point them to the real truth, to talk to them about who Jesus is, because they don't believe Jesus in the way we do. And so I'm sure she's studying her Bible, but this is just, like, in order to know what folly is, we have to know what wisdom is. We have to know what wisdom is in order to spot the folly. So um, we need to engage in the spiritual battle raging around us. Don't shift our focus to the lies, but we need to focus on Jesus. We marinate in the truth of who God is and what he says, and then we're able to recognize a lie. If we know God's wisdom, we can recognize her voice and the voices of any imposter. Only this personal knowledge of the Holy One gives us insight to what we need. So the, the, um, the path of wisdom is the path of life. We um, also find out that the path of wisdom is the path of blessing. So if we choose the path of wisdom, if we follow him, fearing him, we are able to receive wise words wisely. I was trying to figure out a different way to not use wise twice, but <laughs> that's just the best way to say it. If we know him and fear him and follow him, we're able to receive wise words wisely. And this is a focus on verses 11 and 12. You see, we need to know what is going on in Proverbs 1 through 9 and understand how to receive wise wor words wisely and understand what wisdom is because when we encounter chapters 10 through 29, we'll understand how to read the proverb that we're reading. Verses 7 through 9 contrast how the wise and foolish receive instruction. See, the fool hates and abuses the teacher. The fool will reject what he reads in chapters 10 through 29. He'll hate it and he'll even mock it. But the scripture here says the wise man loves the teacher and learns wisdom. And when I say teacher, I don't just mean me or mom or Becky or Sue who will be teaching in a couple weeks. I mean the authority of God's word. Um, your teachers and your pastors are the tools that God uses for you to hear the word. But we don't speak. This isn't Courtney's authority. This isn't my words. This is God's words. And so the, the foolish man will hate what I say and even abuse me or you if you're speaking the truth. But a wise man loves to learn about the Lord and is thankful when you point truth out to them. And so because of that, we get more wisdom. And so because of that receiving instruction, we are just blessed more and blessed more. Um, and if you listen to wisdom and you, you grow, it's just a life of blessing but also there's a warning for those who reject God. It says the fool will experience the result of their decisions alone. They won't be with the Lord. So the path of wisdom leads to life. It leads to blessing. But the path of wisdom also starts by humbly turning to God. Chapter 9 is the Lord calling you and me to know and follow him and only him. That choice has to, we all have to make that choice. The book of Proverbs is urging, urging us to choose God. <laughs> choosing the path of wisdom is choosing to turn and follow God's plan that he provided in the life and death of Christ. His life and death leads us to life. 
Go back to Proverbs 4. The, these paths were actually talked about before, but we didn't cover them. If you go to Proverbs 4, verses 18 and 19, it says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like a deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Again, the path of wisdom is light and life, and the path of folly is wicked, darkness, and death. Now, there's a special focus emerging in the nature of wisdom's call to us, her invitation to the simple people. Um, we see this in verse 6. She says, leave your ways. So there has to be an action. You have to turn to her path. You have to leave where you are and go to her. Leave your simple ways and live. Turn away from your old life. Repent of your sin. Trust in me and you will have life is what she's saying. Lady Wisdom did all the work for her banquet and she invites people that she invites people to. And this should sound familiar. Jesus did all the work for us. We don't have to earn our salvation. He did the work for us. He lived the sinless life that we couldn't. He died and took on God's wrath that we couldn't take. He did all of that for us. He did that all for, all for us who, who are sinners who, who will turn to him. What are we turning from? Our sin. Jesus died in the place of sinners who repent of their sin and trust God for their salvation. He took on God's wrath so we wouldn't have to face, we wouldn't have to face it. But that's only for those who fear the Lord, for only the ones who choose the path of life. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, Courtney, I have chosen to follow God. I am on the path of life. Well, these type of passages are like a warning passage to keep us on the path, to be reminded that um, it's easy to fall off the path. What is, what is it the book of Hebrews is all about, like, it's warning passages of um, keeping you on the path. And this is to remind us there's a path we're supposed to be on. Um, so think about what you're doing with your daily choices. The choices that you keep, do they keep you on the path of life? Search your heart and the spirit to convict you of decisions, actions that would make it look like you're not on the right path. Because, you know, we're sinners. We're, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to make wrong decisions. And I don't mean like I shouldn't have had ice cream last night because that's not good for me. I don't mean that kind of decision. I mean decisions that, like, you don't look like you're a Christian if you're doing those decisions. And so um, be encouraged that there's forgiveness. And if you're on the path, you stay on the path. But it, you have to look like you're on the path. Um, so let me close this in prayer, and then we can do some discussion.